Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. And we are here each and every week on BYU Radio, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, to give you the very best in entertainment. And there's always something good, something better, and something even best in the entertainment world. We normally start with the best news of the week. Yes, and there is some exciting news, especially as we approach the Halloween season, and mm. especially if you live in California, because if California, you, yeah, if you are a fan of the Scream franchise, then you are going to have a unique opportunity to step inside a uh, very iconic home. Iconic if you're a fan of the movie and you've seen the movie. Um, in one of the uh, the homes from the original film, it's where the real climax right. happens, where they have their little watch party, where they're watching one of the Halloweens. Yes, and you can actually go into this home and have an eight hour party there for a a pretty reasonable price of only two hundred dollars. That's huh. not bad, Cole. That surprises me. Would you do it? Well. I'm not a party person. I don't really like <laughs> but people. But you're a horror fan. I'm not a I'm not a drinker per se. Um but well, I it's do not enjoy, you don't have to have I, alcohol. Cole. I do enjoy a good horror movie. So it'd be unique. I would I would prefer just me in the house, like walk around to see the inside. If you didn't have to deal with all those other people. Yeah, you got it. Now here's what's what's really interesting. I took a look at some of the photos of the house, and usually when there's a house featured in a movie it's just the uh, the exterior shots that you're getting, right? I remember the day when I discovered this fact and was so heartbroken to know that, oh, if I wanted to go see such and such a, a house from such and such a movie, if I were to go inside, like the owner would let me inside, uh-huh. um, it wouldn't look the same. However, this is a film that actually the interior was also used to film the the climactic scenes. And so when you go inside of this house, you're going to see that main entryway. You're going to see the kitchen. You're going to see the living room. All these very important scenes from the movie. Cole, any other bits of news that we should talk about? They are currently casting the Crisis on Infinite Earths TV crossover event for the CWDC universe. Was that, that was enough a mouthful. stuff for you? So DC Comics have a lot of television shows on the CW, one of which we are going to talk about later on in this program today. But they are getting ready for their big crossover event where they, you know, bring a bunch of the shows together. And on Crisis on Infinite Earths, they are bringing back a lot of familiar faces to DC fans, including Burt Ward of the 1960s Batman TV show. He's still alive, huh? Kevin Conroy, who's the voice of Batman, is going to be playing an old Batman. See, I don't watch CW, but I know all these people that you've mentioned so far. Brandon Routh, who's been playing Adam on Legends of Tomorrow, is going to play Superman in this. They're also bringing back Tom Welling, from my favorite version yes, of Superman, yes, Smallville. Yes, he's Lex Luthor. No, Tom, no, Tom, Tom Welling, Welling is the Superman is on that show. Mm-hmm. Brandon Ruth was in Superman Returns. Yes. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. Speaking of beloved TV shows, Cole, I understand you saw a movie recently that uh, is an animated version of a beloved TV show. From the 1960s and just in time for Halloween, there's an Adams Family movie. Da-da-na-na. Na-na-na-na. 
They are creepy and kooky <laughs> and animated and for the whole family, and one of them's voiced by Snoop Dogg. Really? The- <laughs> Who does he play? He plays Cousin It. Um, no, because that's just a... Right. And as I was listening, so he's credited, Snoop Dogg is legitimately credited as Cousin It. It kind of sounded like that that you were talking about. Yeah. That it was Snoop Dogg talking and then they just like, I think it might be him talking backwards for some of it. Like what? it did sound like they might have reversed it. But why spend all that money on Snoop Dogg when any old voice, if you're just going to modify it, what like if that Snoop Dogg do? just wanted to do this? What if I, this has been on his bucket list you know, to be in an Adams family? Colder's always that. <laughs> you're right. The movie in general was surprisingly good, Jeffrey. For, wow. For an adult sitting there without a child with me to, that wanted to go see this, I still had a good time in the theater. There's a lot of just very deadpan, very Adams family kind of humor in it. Uh, a little dark, but not so dark that it puts any kind of damper on what the enjoyment that the kids are going to have. It's just kind of like my first horror movie, honestly, hmm. for a little kid. It gets you introduced to like the concept of these monsters or haunted house or a bunch of people that really like the dark and creepy kind of things, but in a cute animated way. Oh, interesting. Well, you maybe have wet my or uh, you maybe have piqued my curiosity, Cole. Interest, appetite, things like that. Yes. It's also, I mean, for the kids, the Adams family have always been about, you know, we look different, but we're still trying to be a part of society. So this takes place in the modern day and it kind of presents us with an opportunity for a teaching moment for kids. It's pretty heavy handed, albeit, but in an Adams family movie, it's okay that we're telling people, even though your neighbors look a little different from you, um, and they have monsters in their backyard, uh, you can still be friends and friendly okay. with them. We can be friends even if you're a monster. Yeah. I like it. Well, if you want something a little more for grown-ups, then you don't even have to go anywhere, Cole. All you have to do is make sure that your fingers are working correctly or, you know, your Alexa voice or whatever it is. Although I guess and it wouldn't be— And that your neighbor's Netflix account hasn't been canceled or they've kicked you off yet. Wait a minute, Cole. Now, we don't we don't endorse that type of behavior. Of course not. Um, but at the very least, you should sign up for a trial of Netflix so that you can watch El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. This is the sequel to the Breaking Bad series and is really going to be a springboard into the remainder of our discussion on the show here today. But if you're unfamiliar with Breaking Bad, just know that it is about a high school chemistry teacher who makes a lot of really poor decisions uh, seemingly to um, help his family, right? He has this terminal cancer and he, he goes wants into to... drug dealing in order to pay for his hospital bills. Right. But he's a chemist and so he understands all the science behind it all, right? So he teams up with a former student, also probably not a very good idea, to help him on this endeavor. And it's this student that is the focus of this movie, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. Uh, I think we're past the statute of limitations for spoilers, right, Cole, on this show? Yes. It's been five years. All right. So it's been five years, as you said. Jesse Pinkman, as played by Aaron Paul, is a man on the run. He is trying to elude the police, trying to... 
start a new life for himself with no money and really nobody that is left that can help him. And how does he do it? Well, you got to watch this movie to find out. It's really like you're watching a couple of episodes of Breaking Bad. However, it's not as thrilling as some of the best moments that you would have experienced on Breaking Bad because a lot of the characters that you've that you've grown to love or hate over the years are now deceased, right? Right. However, I counted close to a dozen cameos by former Breaking Bad characters. I'm not going to say which ones. However, this is, I I kind of equate it to kind of a reunion tour of sorts. You know, you're getting a band back together to play some of their greatest hits. It's not going to be able to recapture the magic of the original iteration, right? But the fans are going to still fill up the seats. You will not be disappointed, I can promise you that. Now, my question going into this was, okay, on AMC, they were allotted one F-word every once in a while. Um, but since this is on Netflix, are they going to kind of break from that and do what they want? And the answer is a little bit of yes and a little bit of no, okay? It's not any more violent than anything you would have seen on Breaking Bad. However, unfortunately, there's a little bit more language than I would have liked to have. I mean, I don't really like to hear any language, but uh, there's a little more of it because it is on Netflix and they're able to get away with it. But still... Um, it's I would call it a soft R. So just keep that in mind. If uh, you've got young ones in the room, you're not going to want them in the room when you're watching this. Well, talking about Breaking Bad and the Adams Family, of course, got us thinking about television. And, of course, this is the fall season premiere time as well. So when we get back, we're going to be talking about some of the best TV pilots that are new this year. And then also talk about some of our favorites all time. You're listening to Screen Cleaning. Neat. Sweet. Petite. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Cole and I are talking TV pilots and TV shows in general here today on on the program. We're going to take you on a journey. Start with the pilots, then talk about some of the seasons we loved in between, and finish it up with our favorite finales. But... Every good show starts with the pilot. Yes, the pilot. This is this is kind of shaky ground for every television show because so many of the shows, and I don't have any statistics in front of me, but so many shows... It's a big number. Yes, get canceled even before they're picked up for a series or maybe they get picked up for half a season and then they get canceled, right? They're just, there's so much to choose from. And so little that will ultimately make it back for another season. So we wanted to not necessarily predict which of these new shows are going to last. But we wanted to give them a fair shake before they get canceled from out from under us. (laughs) Right, right. That's a fair assessment, Cole. So, Cole, I understand you watched a few pilots. I watched a few pilots. Why don't we go ahead and start out? We'll we'll let you go first. Why don't we start out with maybe the least of the three? Okay, so new on NBC this fall is a show called Bluff City Law, starring Jimmy Smits 
from the last season of The West Wing, which was a good show mm-hmm. and a, a show that I will be talking about a little later because I enjoy all of it. Bluff City Law, I did not enjoy so much. It it falls into all of the classic pilot mistakes where during the dialogue they're trying to give you all the information that we could just, you know, take our time and learn about the characters. Sure. But we kind of get those phone calls where it's like, I know that you're my brother or But this is the oh, pilot. Thanks for... They only have one chance to get it right. And you realize, I mean, with those statistics that we don't know but we're sure are a high rate of cancellation, mm-hmm. uh, you gotta get all of your stuff out there so that you whet the appetite, so that you want them coming back, but it also kind of limits you on what you can naturally explain. Like, oh, this is the character that's gonna do this. And Bluff City Law did it the most awkwardly of any pilot I've seen recently. Okay, so maybe don't tune in to Bluff City Law. Until maybe it gets, I mean, this is the kind of show where maybe if it does get picked up, start like halfway through. It's just a very typical law and ordery kind of show. Uh, it takes place in Memphis and the lawyers are going to be on the side of the little guy and so you're caught up. You'd like to tell us it's a good show, but that would be a bluff. City Law. Thank you. Okay, so the one I want to talk about first isn't necessarily a bad show. It's just not really a new idea. It's a show called Emergence, and it stars an actress named Allison Tolman, whom I remember and love from season one of Fargo on FX. A much better show than this. Because this one is about a police chief. Uh, she it lives in Long Island, and she finds a young child near the site of a, of a mysterious accident. And you find out the details of the accident throughout the episode, as well as maybe start understanding who this girl is and maybe where she comes from. Let's just say this. She's not the person that she seems to be. Which, you know, is on the surface just a young lost child who is missing her parents, right? So this police chief takes her home. She has a daughter of her own. She's divorced. She lives with her father. And, uh, you know, the reason I said there's nothing really new here is because as the events unfold, you start to notice that this girl can make things happen at key moments, maybe using her mind. And that kind of girl always has bad guys on her tail, right? Just like in another show that, I don't know, maybe you've seen on Netflix called Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. It's very reminiscent of Stranger Things. It's it's going to be a mystery thriller that, you know, gives you little pieces of puzzles each and every episode. But... It wasn't a mystery that I cared enough about to try to solve with upcoming (laughs) episodes. Emergence on ABC. We're kind of running through the networks here, and and we did it. We gave each one their own due. That's true. Um, I'm going to talk about the CW show because I'm the one on this program that has actually seen some other CW shows, Jeffrey. Yes. Are you? Was that a criticism, Cole? I think of me. Um. I okay. watched Batwoman, which is a new entry into the DCCW That's right. This is a, a long-awaited uh, spinoff, whatever you want to call it, with uh, 
Well, I'll let you do the talking, Cole. So it stars Ruby Rose as Batwoman. She does not play Barbara Gordon, which is the Batgirl that I was used to. She plays Kate Kane, uh, whose father also appears to be a sort of commissioner of the police, but he's in charge of a special task force, I guess. Kane with a K, and that's in homage to Batman's creator, right? Bob Kane. Mm -hmm. Okay. But just to be clear, this Kate Kane Batwoman is also in the comic books. She was introduced right around the same time as the New 52 were all coming around in the mid-2000s. And Ruby Rose as Batwoman was actually introduced in last year's Arrowverse when all the CW shows get together crossover comic book thing. But now she's got her own show and she's in Gotham and it's it's a Gotham without Batman because kind of famously Batman just doesn't show up in television. But during the course of the episode, we do get to know this rebellious, gritty, but super tough gal that's going to put on the cape and the cowl and and be the bat woman that Gotham was missing in this world. Interesting. So I thought this was interesting. Voodoo has started making original content now. All right. This is Walmart. So Walmart is making TV shows. Isn't that crazy? What a crazy cuckoo world that we live in now, Cole. This is a show. The title is definitely going to sound familiar to you. It is a show called Mr. Mom. Now, Mr. Mom is based on the 1983 movie of the same name, and I bet you saw that and thought, that was all the Mr. Mom we needed. We don't need anything else, because who's going to top Terry Garr and Michael Keaton? And Christopher Lloyd is also in it, by the way, Cole. Of course. And this is an idea that probably would have been funny back in 1983. And in fact, if you watch the movie, it is quite funny. It's a It's a favorite of mine growing up about this man who loses his job and is forced to stay at home so that his wife can go to work and be the breadwinner. And this is really interesting, too, Cole. The episodes are 11 minutes long. It's almost as if they were manufactured for Mr. Moms, stay-at-home dads who only hey, have these little clever. only have these little pockets of time in which they can watch TV, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a Mr. Mom or if you're a parent in general, male or female, you know that it's you, it's rare that you have time to just sit down and watch a movie. I can't remember. I guess this morning when I saw El Camino was the last time. At four in the morning. Four in the morning was the only time I could do it, right? The only way a parent can watch a movie is to wake up at four in the morning to watch it. And uh, I, I liked it enough that I would probably give it another shot. And like I said, I do hope that Voodoo creates more content. Mr. Mom, yeah. on Voodoo. It's for free if you have a Voodoo account. Back to the more traditional networks. My favorite new pilot that I saw was on Fox this year, and that is Prodigal Son. I loved the pilot so much, I watched the second episode as well. This is the Whoa. story. It's a. It's. It's on the surface just another crime procedural with a detective that kind of has a quirk like Monk or Psych, but it does it in a slightly more serious way. And and his quirk comes from the fact that his father was a serial killer when he was growing up. Oh, so the so it's first a family show, the, you know, <laughs> you know how I enjoy a good serial killer show. <laughs> I really enjoyed Prodigal Son, though, because he's obviously our our main character is kind of damaged from what went on in his childhood. But now he wants to give back. The pilot tackles a copycat killer of some of his father's famous kills from back in the day. 
And so he's kind of brought on to the force by one of the police officers that helped get him out of that home when he was a kid. Uh, and he helps the police solve this new murder. Uh, the second episode goes into a different – it's in New York City, so there's going to be a murder and episode kind of show, I think. But he's bringing a different kind of knowledge and you also have this relationship between him and his father that he goes to visit in the psychiatric ward where we're finding more and more about his past. This is a show that has been the first to already get picked up for the remainder of its first season. Wow. And I am very glad because they are taking it a little slower and more naturally getting some of the information to us, which I enjoy. That's saying something, Cole, because I was going to say with with a lot of these TV shows, their fate is kind of uncertain. But the fact that it's already picked up for a season is it means that they think it's got wings. And I do, too. Okay. Well, now I want to talk about my favorite pilot that I watched. And it's kind of from an unlikely source. I don't know that I watch anything on CBS. It's a show called... They're the America's uni- most watched network, Jeffrey. How well, can you say that? Not by not in the Simpson home. <laughs> this show is called The Unicorn, and it's another show similar to Mr. Mom, and where you've got this male lead who is out of his element. He's not he uh he's a widower, actually, so that aspect of it is different. But he has two daughters. He's just trying to keep his life in pieces after his wife passes. It's been about a year. And he is kind of getting through all of these freezer meals that people have brought over to his home after his wife's passing. And it's it's really kind of interesting because at one point in the pilot, he runs out of the freezer meals. And he re- it, for that was the moment for him where his wife's passing really seemed real because now he's got to start putting the pieces back together again. And he does that with the help of... A cast of colorful characters, the friends that are around him, giving him all sorts of advice, telling him how he should be running his life and when he should be dating. And one of the things that I really like about this show is that he is unwilling to exploit his tragedy. There's a scene in which um, he's, he finally goes on a date with this woman. They're in a bar and she finds out that he's a widower and she feels really bad for him and wants to continue the date, let's just say. And he's he's unwilling to do it. He doesn't want to use his wife's passing for his gain. And right. I really respected that. And also there's a moment where he has to tell his daughters that, you know what, we're going to have to make some changes around here. And I don't like the fact that you've got a boy in your bedroom, so we need to do better. So there are a lot of, from a parent's perspective, there are a lot of really admirable things in here. And overall, you're just going to find the unicorn to be a a really sweet, rainbowy unicorn type of show. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. That's some of the new pilots that you can check out if you're watching television right now. But we also want to talk about some of our favorite pilots through the year. The first episode that really got us into a new show, whether or not that show ended up being great or not, is up to you. But I want to start with what I think is really the best pilot of all time. Whoa. And that is Lost. Lost captured the imagination of so many whenever it first came out. And it's to the credit of how cinematic and mysterious and amazing this pilot was to have a 
a plane crash right away and you're right in the midst with some of the handheld camera work taking us through the the wreckage and the survivors uh, once Jack gets out onto the beach uh, to see what was there and then add in before the whole end of the episode the mystery of what this island really is about Mm. really brought it all together. Mysteries are so tough to pull off, Cole, because either the audience uh, will become impatient and will want to know the answer and you don't get to it soon enough so they just stop watching or... You never had an answer to begin with, which is what happened to Lost. No, or (laughs) sometimes... Well, I guess that could be true too, but... Or sometimes you find out the answer and then you don't feel like there's a compelling reason to keep watching, right? Right. So that's interesting to hear you say that. And I think another one of maybe my favorite pilots, Twin Peaks, falls to that scenario that you just mentioned where it gives us a really Mm. cool mystery to start off, but it takes, you know, a whole first season and then... We kind of found out what happened, and then the whole show kind of runs out of steam because there's no reason for the show anymore. Yeah. David Lynch never wanted to solve that mystery, by the way. Pressure by the studio. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, mine, one of my favorite pilots comes from Fox. It's 24. I remember I was somebody that started watching this show from the first episode or the first hour because every episode is an hour in a 24-hour period. Yeah. And it's all in real time. That's something it had going for it. And this show took a little while to take off, but I'm so glad that it lasted as long. Well, uh, that might be true for like the first five seasons. I'm so long <laughs> that, that enough people watched that this show kept going. Great pilot Hooks you right at the beginning, and uh, like I said, at least the first five seasons are worth watching. Interesting. Uh, A couple other of my favorite pilots are kind of the funnier fare. I think SpongeBob's first episode was actually really (laughs) cool because the Krusty Krab is going to be such a big part of this show and how much he enjoys his job and the dynamic between a a bright young employee and the older jaded Squidward Mm -hmm. uh, is fun and how Squidward and Mr. Krabs kind of set him off to fetch this spatula that doesn't exist and SpongeBob comes back with it with port and starboard attachments. Uh, Eventually it leads to a Tiny Tim song and a fun little ending where he feeds all the anchovies. Uh, SpongeBob's first episode. Okay. Very good. (laughs) One of the pitfalls of pilots for me, Cole, is that it's so difficult for these characters to establish themselves and to remain true to those characters throughout the series run. Yes. Right? Okay. Because within the pilot, you're still trying to figure out who the character is. Arrested Development, these people knew who these characters were from the get-go. They don't evolve or change over time, which is what you really want to see. You want to see that consistency, and it's so rare to see that. Because they're in a state of Arrested arrested Development. development. So this is a a family that's in a lot of financial problems and legal problems, (laughs) and one of the sons is trying to keep the, the whole family together, and... It's they're just a, you talked about the Adams family earlier. It's basically a non-Halloween Adams family. They're kooky. They're weird. Yeah, uh, they're just not you know Halloween type characters. It's a fun show. Uh, well, at least the first few seasons are. And I'm sensing a theme here. Yes, and which kind of leads me into my next pick, which is a USA show 
called Mr. Robot. This is one where I turned to my wife and I said, that's one of the best pilots I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And it's this guy who's really good with computers who uh, – it's kind of tough to explain the show without giving too much away. It is another show where you kind of get a piece of the puzzle with every episode. But um, it has an Oscar winner in it now. Rami Malek. Yes. Man, he just nails this part. And it's kind of a thrilling, mysterious show that unfortunately starts – Falling apart around episode three or four. Oof, not there's even some, the whole first season. There's some content that's uh, objectionable that really caused us to stop watching. Arrested Development had to introduce you to a lot of different people, but Mr. Robot and my last favorite pilot here we're going to talk about, Scrubs, really keep you focused on the one character and make sure you know who that one person is. Each one of Scrubs's episodes is called My Something. So... The first episode was My First Day. Oh, okay. So it really is just JD's experience with being a brand new doctor fresh out of med school and the fantasies that he goes on throughout the day that keep him going and about his friends as well. And you get to know this whole cast as it comes together. But for the first episode, they just keep it very centered and start and end with him and his experience. And I think that's the thread that they kept going through the whole show that kept it Grounded. It's interesting. In a fantasy world. Uh, You brought up a theme that is seen in a few other television shows where every episode starts with. Yeah, in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, it's the gang goes and does this. In Friends, it's the one where they go and do that. Seinfeld, it's just the such and such. Uh huh. Right? Well, I'm excited to hear what your favorite TV seasons are when we return because that's what we'll be doing. And also talking about some of our favorite TV finales. That's all up next here on Screen Cleaning. I'm no Superman. That is such a familiar tune and one that maybe I miss a little bit, Cole. You don't have to miss it too much. I still watch it every day. Well, you better hurry and watch it while it still is on Netflix, right? Before I have to go out and buy The Peacock. Oh, my goodness. Okay, now tell us why you want to talk about The Office and what season of The Office in particular is maybe one of your favorites. We're going to make some definitive statements on the show. We want to tackle some of the best television shows of all time, but tell you which season was the best. Mm. And in The Office, my favorite season was season two. Season two. Early on, and and this is going to be a theme in a lot of my decisions, is I like the show's before they kind of take off and and jump the shark in some cases. Sure. Happy days. I don't know if to educate the people. <laughs> the, the term jump the shark comes from in Happy Days when Fonzie actually jumped over a shark. Literally. And it means they've kind of run out of things to do. It means that the characters get a little bit too flanderized, which is a reference to a show I'm sure you're going to bring up, Mr. Jeffrey Simpson, uh, where the characters kind of become characters of themselves. 
I like the shows before they get to that point. And in The Office, they certainly do eventually. But in season two, it's kind of the most pure version of all of these guys. The Jim and Pam, will they, won't they, was still really going on. People forget of the seven, eight, nine, nine seasons of this show. They got together in season four. There were more seasons of them together than than seasons that they weren't. And yet the Jim and Pam, ooh, they're just flirting and Will ooh, they, are they? they? Yeah, that's the good part. And that's at its height in season two. Because in three, he goes off to Stanford and he dates Angie Tribeca for a little bit. <laughs> um, and then season four, they're all of a sudden together. Season one's only like six episodes and it's basically just a remake of the UK office. Sure. So if you like Jim and Pam... Season two's your your sweet spot. Now, didn't they do ten seasons of that show? Nine. Nine. Two without Michael Scott. So you're Steve saying Carell. at least half of the seasons aren't really worth watching because Pam and Jim are together. Now, season four and five <laughs> is when it does get good from like a comedy okay. perspective. But I All like right. And it gets really awkward, cringy comedy in season six and seven a lot with Scott's Tots mm. and episodes like oh, that. Oh, that one's tough to watch. Right. Um, yeah. I just got past it uh, two days ago was when I watched Scott's Tots again. It's interesting that you mentioned Jumping the Shark because there's a little reference to that in Arrested Development. Henry Winkler, who played the Fonz sure. on Happy Days, was also in Arrested Development, as was Ron Howard, or at least Ron Howard's voice was. And there is a scene where there is this uh, dead shark just on the pier, and Henry Winkler just kind of jumps over it. Sure. And a a very not-so-subtle reference to Happy Days. Okay, so the first show I want to talk about is... Breaking Bad. We've already talked about that show a little bit here on the on the episode. But season four, I would have to say, is my favorite. Seasons one and two are the ones that are difficult to get through because you kind of feel like you need to take a shower after watching them. They're grimy. But by season four, there have been additional villains that have been well-established, people that are a real threat to this character of Walter White And one of the greatest TV duels that I've seen was between Walter White and Gus Fring. Gus Fring is the more well-composed, more professional uh, of the villains. And Walter White, although he may be dangerous, he's kind of erratic. He's spontaneous. He doesn't necessarily think things through as well as Gus Fring does. And so you have these two characters that are trying to get rid of the other, and boy, oh boy, is it a marvel to behold. And the way that you find out who the winner is, is one of the greatest TV deaths I've, probably the greatest. And, and the way that it's done well. is very ingenious. All right. The end of season four, it's the best season of Breaking Bad. You know, and it's it's plus another thing. Another reason I like season four is because all the family uh, trauma. Well, a lot of the family trauma is put behind them because you just see this the the disintegration of this family. And season four, well, no, it's still disintegrating. The family's still disintegrating, but uh, it's oh, it's so good to watch Cole. So the office is probably my. F- 
favorite sitcom, but Community is right up there as well. I love the early seasons one and two of Community a lot more than later ones. But you're going to notice a theme with all of our selections today is that we're talking about a lot of modern television. Because when I think of Cheers or Happy Days or The Andy Griffith Show, it's tough to really remember what season, what happened. Whereas nowadays with streaming and the way things, just the way storytelling has evolved, they tackle different things in different seasons very much so. Breaking Bad, very clear to remember which season they were doing what. Um, my next selection, it's really easy to remember which season it was that I liked because I love Firefly season one. Hmm. It's the only season. Oh, so that's kind of cheating, Cole. <laughs> now, what is Firefly about? I've never seen it. I And it baffles me every time we have to go over this, but it is a space <laughs> western featuring Nathan Fillion and a whole gang of kind of outlaws. They do a, a little train heist in one of the first episodes. Okay. And, and it's but it really is about those characters and how they all come together. It's got a pretty decent pilot. If I wasn't gonna talk about the whole dang season, I would have mentioned it in one of my favorites as they all come together and board the ship Serenity and get ready for all of the adventures that would ensue. Hmm. Okay. So oh, man, do I and then there's a movie. So it's kinda like El Camino in that there's a continuation after the series ended, right? Mm-hmm. And just a couple weeks ago, we did an, a whole episode of screen cleaning talking about our favorite movies that were based off of television. Sometimes when you just get that one season, people want to do more with it. Uh, some of my honorable mentions are shows like Dollhouse, also from Joss Whedon. It got one more season than Firefly, twice as many, uh, but season one is the best there. Uh, Flash Forward was by the creators of Lost. It only got one season, one really good season. And Freaks and Geeks, another just one seasoner where that one season is just so good and it was canceled just too soon. If you want to hear that episode that Cole just referenced, by the way, you can look it up on our podcast. It's Screen Cleaning and you can find it anywhere where podcasts are found. You can also look through our archive on byuradio.org. Now, the next show I want to talk about, uh, it's it's called The Good Place. I don't think you're too surprised that I was going to bring this show up. Talking now about this, our podcast. Anyone that's been listening to yes. the podcast knows that Jeff loves The Good Place. This is kind of cheating, too, Cole. I'll give you that because this is for a show that is technically still on the air, right? It's in its fourth and final season. What I like about this show is that they don't try to push it longer than it needs to exist. So each episode only has 13 episodes. There are only four seasons. I'm sure it could have gone on longer, but they found a place where they could end the show organically. And uh, I'm I'm so happy that they're choosing to do that because what that means is quality TV, right? And this is a show that started with a bang, and I'm sure it'll end with a bang. And it's one of the few shows that gets the pilot right in that going back to that consistency remark I made earlier, what you see at the beginning is what you're going to get throughout the series. And I can really appreciate that. It's Kristen Bell waking up in this heaven-like place called The Good Place who uh, it's it's watched over by Ted Danson. Everybody loves Ted Danson, right? Oh, cheers. Yes. And he takes her on a tour of the good place. Here's, here's where you're going to be staying. It's full of clowns. You're, you, some of your favorite things are clowns. So we have clowns all over your house. Here's your soulmate. 
And you've done so many great things in your life, Eleanor uh, Shostrap or something like that. Um, Which becomes important. Right. Because, yes, that is her name, but they're talking about somebody else. She doesn't belong there, and she does everything she can to make sure that they don't find out that she doesn't belong in the good place. And this has the best... And I really can't think of another example, so I don't even think it's hyperbole. This has the best, in my opinion, twist ending at the end of season one that you will see on television. Check it out. Watch The Good Place. I you will not be disappointed. I assume season one is your favorite here? Yes, season one is okay. my favorite. Because they do try to do the twist again in season two to a little bit and of a And it's a good one. Effect. It's just not as good as the twist in season one. Right, right, right. Okay. When we're talking about great television... We would look weird if we totally ignored HBO. Um, We are a (laughs) family-friendly program, and so we normally talk about family-friendly media. But season three of The Wire and season two of Game of Thrones still are by far and away some of my favorite seasons of television that Mm. have ever happened. Just not going to go into them a lot here. But going along with that same more adult and drama genre, I think season two of The West Wing also belongs right up there with my favorite seasons of television. This is a season that starts off with the aftermath of the season one finale where President Bartlett gets shot and also (gasps) does Josh Lyman, one of his aides. And then it just takes you through this year in the White House, in the West Wing. It's not the flashiest season. It doesn't have President Bartlett stepping down and taking advantage of the 25th Amendment that's never actually mattered. It doesn't have scandal or big elections. But it is a season where even the most mundane tasks can seem really cool because that's where Sorkin is at his greatest. Aaron Sorkin does dialogue and he can make really dumb and and pithy stuff really interesting. And that is done at its best in this whole show, which I love, in season two. And and not to mention the season two finale, Two Cathedrals, is my favorite episode in the entire show as well. Hmm. Okay. The West Wing, that is a great show. Uh, I want to give a couple of my honorable mentions, too, before I mention the last one. Uh, 24, season one, is the best because it has the, 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 the dramatic... Impact is the biggest in that one because his family is kidnapped and uh, he's got to try to save them in season one. And it doesn't necessarily end the way that you think it would. Mm. Um, Parks and Rec season three, a very funny uh, alternative The Office. And in fact, at one point I stopped watching The Office and started watching Parks and Rec, which ultimately became the more favorite of the two for me. Season three is where you get Rob Lowe. And they start making some improvements in the cast and in the characters. That's where it really starts to get good. But which season of The Office is your favorite? Oh, that's a good question. Make a definitive statement. Uh, Battle me. Three. All right. Because it has the dentist episode. Crentist. Dr. Crentist. Yes. (laughs) And then if I had to choose from Seinfeld, it would be season seven. Because there's so many great episodes in that season. But chief among them, the Soup Nazi. Any season with the Soup Nazi is going to be the best season of Seinfeld. No soup for you. The last one I want to mention here is The Simpsons. This one is tough, and it's also kind of cheating, but not really. No, because... this, is, this is the reason why I wanted to have this conversation, okay. Jeff, because come November, The Simpsons, every, every episode, and there's been a couple, are coming to Disney+. And I have not seen all of The Simpsons yet. 
I want a starting place of 20, whatever, 29 seasons that we're in right now of The Simpsons. There's more than that. 30 something. I want to know which the best one is. And so I went to the guy whose name is Jeffrey Simpson, who has seen The Simpsons to tell me which one, which one do I need to see? 31 seasons, 664 episodes. By the way, my grandmother's name is also Marge, Marjorie Simpson. Uh-huh. And uh, the best season was tough. It was hovering somewhere around four, five, six, or seven. And ultimately, I circled back to season six. Okay. And Cole, I think you'll appreciate the reason why I ultimately went with season six. Because maybe for a lot of fans of The Simpsons, the the season in general can be judged by how good the Halloween episode is. Treehouse of Terror, Horror, and whatever. And this, the best Treehouse of Horror is Treehouse of Horror 5, which is in season six. You get The Shinning, which is a spoof of The Shining. You get Time and Punishment, where Homer's toaster is a uh, time-traveling device. I have actually seen that one. Yes, and then Nightmare Cafeteria, which is... <laughs> it's just so funny because a lot of people wonder what goes in the food at elementary schools, or at least that's always the stereotype, right? But in this case, the answer is children. And uh, it's such a funny, solid episode and a solid uh, treehouse of terror. But then you've also got episodes like Itchy and Scratchy Land, where they basically go to the... It's kind of a mix between a Jurassic Park theme park and Disneyland. <laughs> I believe it's. it also has one of the episodes that represents, uh, if you don't count the time-traveling episode... It rep- gives you a, a picture of what the Simpsons will look like as grown-ups in Lisa's wedding. She goes to a fortune teller, and uh, you get to see how they all turn out as adults. Now, of course, there are many other episodes after that. But it also has a Beauty and the Beast spoof in Two Dozen and One Greyhounds, where Mr. Burns is kind of like Cruella DeVille trying to gather up all these greyhounds to make a nice skin coat for himself, right? I can't wait to watch all of these Disney spoofs on Disney Plus. Oh my brought goodness. To you by Disney. And then speaking of of going out with the bang, this season ends with part 1 of the two-part Who Shot Mr. Burns episode. This was very important to me growing up. It was it was a uh, a huge deal at 7-Eleven. You could go in and get the <laughs> Slurpee cups that had a bunch of the suspects on the cups, and you could make all these guesses on who it was going to be. My it was a big deal. loved Dallas when she was oh, growing yeah. up, but you had the Simpsons version of it. <laughs> Simpsons season six. I'm going with that one as my favorite season of The Simpsons, which is saying something because in season seven, it has one of the funniest episodes of The Simpsons I've ever seen, but I digress. There you have it. Some of our favorite seasons of our favorite television shows of all time. We started with pilots. We got some of the meat in between. And when we come back here to Screen Cleaning, we're going to talk about our favorite series finales. How did the whole show end up and which ones ended on a bang instead of just fizzled out to a whimper? (laughs) That's next here on Screen Cleaning. Oh, 
One of the best TV themes ever, Cole. Man, this TV month, we gotta we gotta get in a best TV theme songs segment at, at least, least, if yeah. not a whole episode. <laughs> Yeah, that is the theme for Arrested Development, as if you didn't know already. One of Jeff's favorite pilots, and now, is it one of your favorite ways it ends? I'm going to cheat a little bit here, because Uh I'm going to take the initial finale, before the show is resurrected, as one of the best ways to go out with a bang. The family is kind of disintegrating. Everybody's kind of going their separate ways, because the law has caught up with George Bluth Sr. again, And uh, you get to see Michael and George Michael finally peel themselves away from this family that is just tearing them down. They're escaping on their yacht. He's putting his arm around his little son. And I love it. You always see on the next Arrested Development, they give you a little glimpse on of... It's it's interesting because a lot of shows will give you, here's what's coming up next on the next episode. And it actually is what will happen next. Right. But on Arrested <laughs> Development, that's not always the case. Little, They give you, basically, they, they're probably giving you little deleted scenes because those scenes don't always show up on the next episode of Arrested Development. And uh, you get to see that, oh, they didn't actually get to escape by themselves because George Sr. stows away on their on their little boat and uh, what? A, oh, and it also ends with uh, somebody pitching the idea of this show to Ron Howard, the actual Ron Howard. So you don't just get to hear his voice. And he says, "I don't know if that would make a good TV show. Maybe a movie, though." And da 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 da. It was a great way to end the show. I don't know that they should have brought it back. And especially, you mentioned it was one of your favorite pilots. It kind of has that circular thing where it ends. At least season three ends the way it starts on the boat, the way the family goes. Community, I mentioned I loved season one and two a little bit more. Always had the slogan of six seasons and a movie, uh, which is kind of that fun thing. Maybe we'll get the movie afterwards. But Community never did get a chance to end because every time they thought they were building a finale, it just got picked up again and it get picked up again. One show that I love the way it ended, though, is Star Trek The Next Generation. I talk about Star Trek a little bit more on this show than... Well, definitely more than I have because I don't think I've ever uttered even those words. But The Next Generation ends with a great two-parter where Captain Picard is kind of in three different timelines. They're still solving kind of a space anomaly thing. Q comes back just like he was in the pilot episode of The Next Generation. And I really enjoy the way it gives Captain Picard a finale and and kind of a – it gives him a finality to his character. Kind of, because that's another show that's being picked up again. Picard on On CBS CBS All Access. Access. Yeah. Uh, I love the way, and again, I'm going to cheat here. This is where I wish the show would have ended, because if it ended here, it would have been one of the greatest TV show endings ever. It comes in season seven with the farewell or exit of uh, Steve Carell's Michael Scott. And I thought it was such a sweet way to end it, but they didn't end it here. You get to see Michael Scott going to the airport, chasing after the woman of his dreams, and he gets to have one last moment off mic with Pam Beasley. And you get to see him. He takes off his mic, and you can see him mouthing the words, that's what she said. But then he turns to go catch his gate. 
and you see Pam just running, and they have this really sweet off-mic moment. You have no idea what they're saying to each other, but they embrace, and that is the best ending to The Office. But if it had ended there, we wouldn't have gotten James Spader's Robert California, one of my favorite characters in the whole show. Yeah. I mean, as good as that character was, it it wasn't good enough to justify keeping that series going. <laughs> You're right. I'm sure NBC would beg to differ, though. <laughs> Couple, They still got some money out of it. Oh, yeah. I I mentioned SpongeBob as one of my favorite pilots. Digimon Adventure 2 has one of my favorite series finales because the first two Digimon shows are about two different groups of characters, but characters from the first one are in the second one. Now, there's a lot of other Digimons after this again, so... I'm cheating just a little bit, but those first two are the only two that really have continuity with each other, and they conclude the second one beating, you know, yet another really big Digimon or whatever. But it it gives all the characters kind of a future and what they do afterwards, and I think it wraps up those – that storyline really well. Okay. Well, we've talked a little bit about Breaking Bad on the show, and I think this show has one of the best – finales that I've seen as well, even though they've, in a way, continued it with this new movie on Netflix, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. However, uh, you get to see everything that you want in this finale. The people that that you want to see get their comeuppance, get their comeuppance. And somebody like Jesse Pinkman, you get to see him get away, which is what you really want to see. Although, I guess you don't really know what happens to his character but you get Until to see you get to see about five seconds of freedom of him getting away from these people that have imprisoned him and uh boy it goes out with a bang figuratively and quite literally and boy oh boy Couple does bangs. that finale not disappoint yeah i my favorite finale though of all time is going to be the other amc serious drama and that's the way mad men ended really the whole last season is a, a little weaker than what the rest of it is it kind of jumped forward in time a little bit and and don draper is you know trying to go and find himself during the course of this final season he gets a best of, you know, greatest hits of his relationships as he kind of just tracks through and discovers what kind of person he's become over the course of this show. Mm. His identity, always a really important part of the show. But the way it ends with him kind of finally coming to peace, you know, in this in this kind of hippie kind of commune, Nirvana-y um, place, <laughs> and then immediately either undercutting it or enforcing it with the I'd like to buy the world a Coke ad playing really leaves it up to interpretation. Like, did Don really find peace with himself and leave the busy world of the ad men? Or did he just steal the sort of inspiration that he got and monetize it by coming up with that ad? The world will never know. Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in, right, right. Cole? And I love that sort of ambiguity um, that the Mad Men series finale was able to conclude with. Well, Cole, how about another TV series that I'm sure you've never heard of, and it's right in time for Halloween, and it's actually our Panning for Good segment for today. There's good in them dire hills. (laughs) 
stumbled across this just yesterday, actually. I'd never heard of it before. And talking talking about bite-sized episodes, we mentioned Mr. Mom is only 11 minutes each episode. This one is only about four minutes each episode, and it's called You're Not a Monster. Huh. And here's kind of a short synopsis from IMDb. Max Seward's patients really are the horrifying monsters they think they are because they really are horrifying monsters. So you have this therapist who has inherited this practice from his great-grandfather, voiced by Kelsey Grammer, who is a vampire. And uh, he you get to see him in session with the likes of Michael Myers and Medusa and the little girl from The Exorcist. And it's it's a funny four bite-sized minute episode that uh, all of them are that you're going to enjoy. There there are some uh, a little bit of adult jokes in here, but nothing really in the way of language. The therapist is played by Eric Stone Street from Modern Family fame. Pat Oswalt has a brief cameo. <laughs> I think he uh, he says a handful of words as the Invisible Man. <laughs> so, Cole, this is right up your alley. And you have to sit down and watch it, though, because it's only four minutes, which means they're going to do their darndest to pack in every single joke they possibly can in those four minutes. So the jokes come at you fast, and uh, a lot of them land. It's a funny Halloween type of show on IMDb. You can watch it for free. An IMDb original. You're not a monster. All right. And Cole, you're not a monster. I want you to know that. Thanks. (laughs) How do you like that for segues? High praise. (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We hope that you have enjoyed some of the discussion that we've had surrounding TV series, the best seasons, the best finales, and maybe even some of the shows that you ought to go check out that are brand new. Are these shows that are going to have the legs that some of our favorite shows have had? Time will tell. Only time will tell. And uh, you can find us here on BYU Radio each and every week at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, or look us up wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We're here, and we'll be back next week. Until then, this is Screen Cleaning.